Hi, I'm Sophia Longy. And I'm Ben Franks. And welcome to Wine Flights. Each week we face off with two bottles of wine each and our special guest has to choose a winner. And this week our special guest is Andy Clark. Let's take off. Hey, this is Wine Flight with me, Sophia Longy from Skin and Pulp. And me, Ben from Ben Franks Wine. So this is a new podcast where we face off against each other by presenting a flight of wines with a new guest and they have to pick a favourite. Yep, so we both bought a white wine and a red wine and at the end of the podcast uh, our guest is going to pick the best one and we'll see who wins. <laughs> okay, so our guest today is Andy Clark. Yeah, welcome Andy. So we've known each other for a while. Hello. Yes, hello. Well, thank you for having me. This is, oh, a, this is a, a treat, a treat to see you both and to have a have my glasses lined up for me waiting <laughs> gorgeous wines. And a, and a beautiful plate of cheese in front of you as well. This is lovely. It's like the ultimate party, conversation, <laughs> food and drink. Yeah, yes. I was thinking how long we've known each other, but it's been a few years, I suppose, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, when I first got started in wine, you were very supportive. I used to ring up and yeah. <laughs> you had some very good words for getting into wine and oh, no, relaxing I, into it. And I think he's trying stuff. to say you were his inspiration. I think that is I obviously think, the truth. Yes, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so, Andy. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think, uh, completely. I think, yeah, when I moved back to Bristol, because I'm from Bristol originally, and I, I lived in London for many years, and when I moved back, I think me starting to write uh, sort of about food and wine and drinks uh, for magazines sort of coincided with you sort of starting with, with novel. I yes, think. it did. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, yeah, obviously, I'm always keen to put things on the table that are a bit different, that aren't your run of the mill, and I think that's where we connected in that sense of some you know, stuff from small producers, unusual places, and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, there, there was that, and I still remember when uh, I got invited to do Made in Bristol Regional Telly, and I, I rang up and I was like, okay, I've never done this before, I need some advice. <laughs> <That's laughs> were you on the telly then? I was on the telly, yeah, and Made I rang, rang Andy for some advice. Yeah. <laughs> that often is the case when people, I've, I've got friends who are chefs and people in drinks who say, oh, I'm going on Sunday brunch, or I'm going on uh, Great British Menu, any words of advice? But I think, had I done, because Made in Bristol, I think, uh, what was the item you were doing? What had they asked you to do? Because it's quite a random channel. It, yeah, it was so uh, a show called The Crunch, and they were doing um, basically just a bit about novel wines and, and interesting wines and why we should drink outside of the box. So I was, I was on to chat that. Which, <gasps> and now yeah. you're all about drinking inside the box or the can. Yes, the, the alternative yeah. I, do, I do have the can, yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. I yeah. thought they might have got you on to talk about something completely random, but they asked me to go on it. It was like a current affairs daily news review show. <laughs> and I think like, somebody I knew or had met once or twice asked me to come on. And I was like, I'm good when I'm talking about food or wine, but ask me to talk about politics or international issues. I'm not as great at being sort of as quick fire, but like, don't say anything, you could end up in the tabloids. You know, because when you say the wrong thing <laughs> oh, yeah. about that current affairs, Career that looks suicide. it. Absolutely, especially after, you know, you might have had a sip or so, you know. <laughs> so how did you play that then? I was very diplomatic. I, I usually, in my life, I err on the side of positivity. Yes. I always say, if you can't be nice, then don't bother. So I think if I have an opinion at any point, uh, which I do, I'll always just go in gently. I think mm. don't be all bullish because we see what it's like on social media. You see what it's like, especially on Twitter yeah. and things like that, where you know you have an opinion or somebody you know reacts to something you said, and then it can snowball, and suddenly they think that you had ulterior motives about <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah. So I'll say 
be nice, celebrate, do something that hopefully brings a smile to your face yeah. and other people. I but think that's, that's the thing. great thing about working in wine, isn't it? It does unite people from oh, yeah. all over the place. So mm. from whatever political background people are from, well, wine unites. Exactly. I think everybody has to eat and drink, whether they're eating, you know, uh, meat, whether they're vegan, whether they drink alcohol, whether they don't, we all have a mutual. It's one thing that actually brings every single person on this planet together, and there aren't many things, mm -hmm. but we all have the need to eat and drink. And if we can make that a positive thing and actually use it to bring people together, then I think that's a really good thing. Uh, yes. Whatever, whatever you have in your glass. And again, no judgment. I don't judge. I say to people, if you want to drink wine in a very different way to me if you want to mix it with coca-cola or ice or drink it out of a mug and put it in the microwave you do that if it makes you happy mm -hmm. then you do that but um you know if it's not it's not for me it's not for me you know we're all different you do you yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so i would say cheers to that but we don't have any wine yeah we should pour yet. some wine and i think you're gonna go first sophia and, okay. and this is where i'm at a disadvantage because uh, sophia has uh found out about your lovely summer holiday and she's gone rosé, which is... But... <laughs> clever, clever. Clever, Then yeah. again, it's a double-edged sword because I know you've been in Provence. Yeah. I've seen you on Instagram drinking lots of beautiful Provence rosé and I haven't chosen Provence. So... I like your style. It could not work for me at the same time. I am hoping way. it backfires. <laughs> You're the going, if it's not classic Provence, you know, it might not work. But it's interesting. Rosés... A really interesting thing because I love it and I do obviously love the classic Provence style and when you see that replicated in other places around the world you're like good on you you're you know doing something really interesting sort of you know it's not just about the south of France but I always say to people it's not you know rosé is not one thing white wine isn't all one thing red wine is not all one thing so rosé shouldn't always have the taste of delicate strawberries and a little bit of herbaceousness mm, you know yeah. it can be completely different it can be saline it can be sweet it can taste a bit like somebody's put a little boiled sweet in there whatever just because it doesn't taste like a exactly. Coca de Provence doesn't mean it's not amazing so I'm really interested and, to see what you picked and the whole thing as well is it doesn't have to look that way either it You're doesn't right. have to be that pale salmon color and obviously the appearances don't really have a bearing on the taste mm, but exactly. this does happen to be quite a pale and salmon um, but it's a Portuguese rosé lovely big fan not of Portuguese. your um, Matus not, not your old uh, sort of. Hope. No, it's old school, isn't it? I yeah, I, I have. I have actually drank that in Portugal because we felt we had to just for a laugh. For a laugh, when in when on holidays. It's, when it's cold and when it's hot outside, and, yeah. and the wine is cold. I think that's it's actually really refreshing. Saying, still <laughs> seeing the attractions in Portugal, but you've got to tick it off as a cultural. Uh, you cultural have done. Yeah. I think we just arrived with some friends. Actually, the same friends we were in Provence with, funnily enough. And we were just like some easy tapas straight off the flight. And we were just like, we've just got to go in the sunshine for one bottle of that in its unusual shape. Well, it's almost like a, a lamp-shaped bottle, isn't it? Like a table lamp. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. unusual. But, but I'm, I'm sure that this has okay. glass written all over it. Well, <laughs> it is meant to be one of the premium rosés of Portugal. Um, it, the main grape is Albarinho. I'm not going to say too much about it, actually. I'd like you to sort of... See, what are your first impressions? Well, cheers for a start. Cheers, I think we need to one, yeah. do a... We need to definitely do a clink. There we go. Mm. Mm. Well, that's lovely. That's I think lovely. it has like, um, you know, if you get like a strawberry sorbet with some mint on top, mm. like yeah. it has that kind of, those aromas. There's definitely 
something really interesting about the nose. There's definitely a herbaceous sort of note to the to the nose, and also it's a bit of like fresh air, sort of seaside freshness in a way. Mm. Something lovely about that. And then when you taste it, what's beautiful is it's really bright. There's a yeah. real beautiful sort of tang and a salinity to it, and yet the fruit is really prominent as well. Definitely, you still get berries. You know, you still get that that classic rosé flavour as well, but with extra layers. Yeah. What I like about uh, rosés that move outside of Provence is they leave the world of lemon citrus a little bit and move into more kind of tangerine clementine. They're a little bit softer acidity, but a bit yeah. more um, mm. fruit driven. Mm. And it was actually Turkish rosé, so that was very far from Provence, mm. that got me into drinking pink quite a bit. And ah. this has that element of tangerine mm. clementine. Mm. You're right. I'm thinking, yeah, the tangerine clementine sort of, you know, is definitely that sort of citrus in there, isn't it? Has it has a zestiness, yeah. So what um, drove you into wine and away from TV, or were they always together in some way? Well, I think I've always loved food and drink. I grew up in a family in this small market town called Thornbury, which is just north of Bristol. And my family were very much into growing some of our own veg. And um, my dad would make his own beer. And sometimes him and the neighbours would get birch sap and make birch sap wine oh, wow. and all those traditional things, a bit like the good life. Um, <laughs> and an amazing of, place to grow up Yeah, in. and it was nice. And then he, yeah, my dad took early retirement and then um, decided he was bored and got a part-time job uh, helping the local milkman. So he'd do a milk round three days a week. So, you know, using food and sort of ingredients from around the area was, was always uh, sort of a highlight in our house. You know, he'd drive milk for it and you'd go past places in the villages near the town and they'd be selling their own herbs or eggs or scrumpy, but drink it before Friday, otherwise it'll kill you. You know, that <laughs> sort of thing. So we grew up with this sort of thing all around us and experimenting with lots of foods and drinks. And I think that just went into my adult life that when I went to university, luckily a lot of the friends that I hung around with also loved food and drink as much as me. It wasn't about, you know, uh, protesting and drugs and all the rest of it. It was about, oh, where are we going to have a nice Sunday lunch? So then I always loved food and drink. And then when I was producing, um, I got into TV, I always wanted to work in TV and I was producing TV shows. Um, I did a lot of Obstocks and I did some studio shows like Blue Peter, the BBC Children's Show, and I did Richard and Judy, which was live on Channel 4. But when I was doing that, the Saturday Kitchen um, franchise came up for grabs because the company that was making it were defecting to the other side, to ITV, and they wanted a production company to make it. So I helped develop the format that came up with James Martin in 2006. And then from there, because I was in charge of directing all of the wine content and the drinks content with all the wine experts, I got to taste lots of different wines through work. And they would bounce ideas off me and the cameraman and everybody. And I realised I could put a lot of what I was tasting and smelling into words. Um, and they encouraged me to start writing on my own blog, which I did. And from there, that sort of escalated the writing and then hosting of events. You know, chefs in Bristol would ask me to sort of, you know, um, create uh, sort of wine flights for uh, bespoke menus. And I'd do an evening where you'd come in, it'd be sort of me hosting in the evening. And that just sort of took off. Um, and I still do the producing and directing of food and drink and sort of travel TV. 
but uh, very much so more into the, the hosting and the, oh. the drinking and the writing. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like you had the best of both worlds there. To mm. <laughs> you climbed um, the mountain, you're right at the top. Absolutely. Yeah. Surrounded by bottles. That's <laughs> it. Uh, that's lovely. That honestly, I think that's delicious. Yeah. While you're drinking the rose, let's mm. not forget the cheese. Ooh, so, ooh, uh, yes, what have we me, got? Mm. Rose and brie is the, one of the perfect pairings. Yes, so, yeah. have Brilliant. a go of that very ripe brie, spread it on a bathful of a biscuit, and mm. taste it with the rose. Mm. I mean, just for people listening, the brie is like spread out on the plate. Right, that. oh. like that's my sort of brie because it's got proper flavour. I can't bear yeah. when you put anything in your mouth that doesn't taste as much. Yes. Whether it's a wine, whether it's a cheese, whatever. And that's lovely because it's, there's salt, there's a butteriness to it. It's mm. got a bit of maturity to it. Actually, I think that's going to bring out those top citrus notes in this rosé, isn't it? Yeah, and it will give you, for me, brie gives creaminess in rosé as well and gives more texture and depth to it. And then mm. you have a lot, it starts bringing rosé into the world of kind of big white wines, full-bodied white wines and elevates mm. it. Definitely. Mm. I think people are starting to see rosé, you know, as not just a poolside beverage. You know, it is, it can be gastronomic. Um, and I think exactly what you're saying, that saltiness, the earthiness of brie just brings mm. that fruit to the front. And mm. yes, it's lovely. It does. And I'll tell you what is interesting there is that it changes the texture of the wine in your mouth. It actually makes that feel like a fuller texture when you have it with the brie. Yeah. And you, a lot of people wouldn't think of drinking a rosé with a brie. People yeah. always think cheese and red wine, which is... Oh, you know, it's really, I'd have to bite my lip and go, no, no, try things, try something different, try, I don't know, a Sauvignon with a goat's cheese. Oh my yeah. God, or a yeah. oh, Bacchus. It's not yeah. just an English Bacchus. blue cheese, is it? Exactly, Sorry. exactly. But you're right there with that. And I, I wouldn't necessarily always think of getting out a rosé with the cheese course, but that's a really, really uh, good, interesting one to try. Yeah. For me, there's two, there's two surefire bets with any rosé and food pairing. Mm. It's soy sauce, stir fries, and it's brie. And those two both love rosé yes. and that they're good pairings. Mm, um, good but before you get too excited about the rosé, I have bought along a oak-aged Chardonnay because oh, I know that it's got a bad reputation generally, but I think they're some of the best wines in the world when they're made cool. well. Definitely. So this is Domaine Colotte Marcinet Blanc. And I haven't tried it before, but it was highly recommended. So this is... A, oh, I a, love this. This is Mallory. You haven't tried it before. I love, I love this. We're, we're, you're the master of... You know, you're championing this wine and we're all <laughs> tasting it for the first time yeah. together. This is good. But I think that comes with, you know, being wine lovers, we're curious as well and want to share new discoveries. Mm. That, that's what wine is about for me, new discoveries. Mm. Definitely. Um, not just, you know, your old favourites that you're just pushing out all the time. It's nice to... Yeah, yeah. agree. something new, fall in love with yeah. uh, new wines. So cheers to trying something new. Cheers. There we go. Oh, it smells beautiful. So is this burgundy. Mm. White burgundy is oh. my favourite. I mean, like I just love white burgundy. There's not much, you can't beat it. It's so lovely. Can you? Thank you. Can you? <laughs> Interesting. That's a challenge set. Anybody out there who wants to uh, I didn't know you had a send something in? <laughs> Sam Dunk. <laughs> you see, he's gone classic. You've gone, right. you know, you've done some. You've gone rogue. He's gone classic, but this is great because they're so different. And actually, 
I wouldn't tear either of these out of my mm. fridge at all because <laughs> that, that is beautiful because you've got that beautiful sort of classic almost apricot and peachiness in there and yet the acidity is really balanced and just that little squeeze of lemon freshness that you get from there is just beautiful. Yeah, it's got really nice kind of lightweight character mm. but it's got lots of intensity as well. Mm. Um, and you know, for Ben from Novel Wines to pick a White Burgundy. <laughs> this is, I'm sorry, what have you Pretty done with the, the real Ben? for me. Yeah. <laughs> that, I was going to say, playing, <laughs> playing a classic for you. I didn't think you'd go classic with that. But that's lovely. And I think that just shows you that, you know, sometimes, well, it's, it's nice, isn't it? Because sometimes when you do want to go to classic, you know, if you can find something like this, that's a really good example of what they do in Burgundy, then you just think, oh, you can't go wrong with that. No. Then, yeah, again, I'm all about the food and the wine matching. <gasps> And I'm always thinking, as soon as I taste any drink, especially wine, I'm always thinking about what might go with that wine. Mm. Like, you know, with, with rosé, I classically always think of like seafood, but seafood maybe that's, I don't know, fried with a bit of chorizo or some red pepper. Ooh. So you've got the white and red mixed in a rosé form, yeah. in food form as well. Mm, yeah. And yet with, you know, white burgundy, it's so, dare I say, the awful expression, food friendly. But, you know, Chardonnay like, like, like that is just beautiful. Well, we've got a Swiss Gruyere on the plate, which right. I think will go well, which is the long, yeah, that's it. That one. Um, and to all the cheeses from Nibbles, which is Bath's best, oldest cheesemonger. Uh, With Jack the best Bush name. Man. Yeah, With best the best name by Nibbles. far, yeah. Um, but he, he has the best Gruyere that I've had. So li little salt crystals in it. The smell, right, smell the Gruyere cheese, smell that. And then smell the wine and you'll see, you just know they're going to be a great match. Because again, you get that almost like sort of, there's a stone fruit sweetness to the nose mm -hmm. of that cheese that you get also in the wine. And it's like the melted butter mm. kind of mm. taste and smell. Mm. And that, that cheese is so smooth. It's good, texture. It? Yeah. Mm. You get little prickles of salt crystals. Love that. And it brings Creamy. out the body in the wine as well. The mm. wine is yeah. suddenly bit more velvety and very luxurious. Is that good value, would you say? The, the wine? <laughs> <laughs> the wine. The Gruyere, it's very good value. Uh, well, yeah, it's 30, 30 quid. Mm -hmm. So white burgundy wise, I think it's excellent. Mm. The mm. interesting thing about it is it's young, it's 2020. Mm. Um, I wouldn't necessarily need anything else. It's it's a nice, fresh, young white burgundy, Ooh, clean and interesting. It is, I think that, that's that's really nice. I think, um, but funnily enough, we actually, oh, this is the, where I feel like on a holiday, we were just talking about being in Provence. It was a bit of a road trip. We did over 2,000 miles from Bristol to um, the south of Provence and then back up through. How many weeks were you away? Only two weeks. Two weeks. Because I was really, well, when I was talking to you, uh, first <laughs> holiday in three years. It was. The, the, wow. the last holiday we went on was, went to Annecy um, in eastern France, which we adore, beautiful lake. Um, just at the uh, foot of the Alps, we went away, and we we were kind of going. We, well, we booked this um, house with some friends of ours from Bristol, some school friends of ours and their kids um, for the week, and we were so worried about all the flights being cancelled because all the stuff that was happening this year with flight cancellations. We were like, well, we've booked this place, we're not going to get the money back on that, and we will be totally gutted. First holiday since 2019 that we we won't get there. So we love a road trip. I'm thinking, but if we're doing a road trip, we. Inevitably, if you put in Port of Calais to sort of Cassis and Bandol, where we were staying, you inevitably go through Vence, so you go through the Champagne region, you go through Macon, you go through Dijon, you go through Lyon. I was like, tick, 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 tick. That's 
love all of these places. Do you have a dog as well? No, we don't Because have a dog. I have a dog and mm. that sounds like I could take her. You could. Our neighbours have a place in France over near La Rochelle and they take their dogs every time they go over there and do the car um, and sort of drive over. So we were so keen just to enjoy everywhere along the way. And yes, so we had this really great holiday and on the um, last day, thunderstorms came over and we booked to stay in a chateau in Macon and... Uh, uh, which I'd heard from our friends that had great Fremont and beautiful swimming pool and all the rest of it. And we're like, hang on, if, we, if it's thunderstorms, we can't use the pool in case we get electrocuted and it's not going to be as beautiful as we thought. We thought, let's park that. So we cancelled that on the last night and just came back from Grenoble. And uh, so our next holiday to France will be going to Burgundy and around mm. that area. So I feel that this is almost like hinting at what we slightly missed yeah. on our way back. So um, that that's put me in the like mood. I might have won. <laughs> <laughs> Don't count your chickens yet. It's early days, it's Ben. Early days. It's early days. Um, okay, Andy. So uh, you have written a book. Tell oh, us yeah. about your book. Well, um, it's called Home Bar. Um, it's all about cocktails you could make at home. Uh, using stuff that you might have that you just don't know what to use, you know, don't know what to do with, sort of open the, the cupboard and you've got all these bottles going dusty. It's like, you know, what can you use with that? And obviously I try to encourage people to make the cocktails using really lovely artisan spirits and juices and all the rest of it because it's great to support people that are making great products. You know, you wouldn't pour a substandard wine with your food, so why would you, uh, you know, use a, a rubbish spirit in your cocktails? And um, so that's what it's all about. And it was, I was writing it before lockdown. And yet when lockdown happened, it's a bit like that's what everybody was doing. We were all raiding the freezer, tidying cupboards, going, yes. what on earth is this bottle? What, what is this advocate? Yeah, what <laughs> can I do with this? I'm not too sure. So with the cocktails, I encourage people to use different ingredients. I use beer in some cocktails, cider. I use wine in some of the cocktails. Mm. Um, a couple of my favourite recipes in the book involve wine. One... Uh, is my raspberry frosé, funnily enough, which when I went to Miami, they were serving frosé by the pool, which again, traditionalists might go, oh, you can't freeze wine or you shouldn't use it as a cocktail ingredient, but it was delicious. And I, you know, found some beautiful artisan raspberry vodka liqueur from Scotland, put it with the rosé, clip-locked it into the freezer, let it freeze. And obviously with the alcohol, it doesn't completely freeze. Make it into a bit of a slushy, mm. serve that with some summer berries on top, and it's delicious, so I call that my raspberry frosé. Yeah. And, and also, instead of using sugar syrup, I've got some syrup recipes in there, but you can use dessert wine instead of a sugar syrup. You can use, I don't know, if you've got some sautan or something you really, really like, you can use that as the sweetening ingredient in your cocktail. And actually, that's brilliant in terms of sort of wine waste as well, because yes. lots of people have sautan, they open, even though it's serving half a bottle anyway, but... They'll open it for a dinner party and then they won't know what to do. They'll still have half a bottle left and they won't know what to do with it. So I love that that you use it. In yeah, exactly. exactly. I'll be honest, that's never happened with sweet wine. <laughs> sweet wine is always getting drunk. But I mean, as, as someone who's over half doesn't drink, I always have the leftover half bottle problem. So I mean, if you've got cocktails with wine, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, to me. Exactly. and I love how you make it seasonal, not just with the uh, ingredients that go into the cocktail, mm. but also the garnishes. Yes, absolutely. And that's really important. I always say I like to drink wine out of a, 
uh, a glass I like and, um, you know, serve food on the plates. I like using cutlery. I like, you know, you can do whatever. I say, I will not judge. If you want to drink your cocktail out of a mug, that is absolutely fine. But I do find that I want the right garnishes and the right receptacles just to make it feel like right special. Because I think if you're going to take the time to make a cocktail, and actually they don't take too long. A lot of people worry thinking they're going to take as long as they do in a cocktail bar where they've got 20 orders lined up and people go, oh, I'm not going to do that. But if you're going to take the time to make a cocktail, however quick it might be, you want to make sure that you properly enjoy it with the right sprig of mint or slice of orange mm, or whatever it might be. Definitely. Yeah. Great. Well, Andy, are you more a white or red wine person? Oh, that's, that's really hard. Or a rosé person, to be fair. That's... I've had a rosé. <laughs> yeah. I honestly think I'm so... I change my mind. I'm, I'm a Gemini. Yeah. I think, you know, Gemini, the twins and everything, I've got different sides to me. And sometimes I might be all about the white wine and other times I'm all about the red wine. I drink a lot more white and rosé at home. Mm-hmm. Um, however, going into the winter months, I uh, would drink more red. Because I think, again, hot pots, you know, mm. things with gravy, things that really, really suit red wines. I would say I'm probably more, if I were to look at what I drink, um, I'd say I'd probably drink more white wine. Mm. And I think, because again, the diversity in white wine, there's something for every occasion. If you think yeah. anything from, you know, crisp and spritzy vinya verdes to really, really rich chardonnays and whatever else. But, uh, but saying that, I absolutely bloody love good red wine whether that's light um pinot noir that you can put in the fridge or whether it's proper hoofing heavy things that you'd have with a tomahawk steak and it depends what mood you're in doesn't it it's so lovely to have that variety um i always think that you know when i'm when i'm more in the mood for a party and socializing i do Mm. tend to lean to rosés and, and whites and mm. sparkling rather than sort of reds but then at the end of the night it's always mm. the reds and the deeper <laughs> meaningful the dnms yeah. of people <laughs> yes you're right i think reds are great with sort of heavier main courses but also if you feel that the weather's really cold outside there's something about putting the fire on and just sort of it's almost like you can sink into a glass of red like that red is a big hug in your favourite jumper, in your favourite chair. Yeah, there's something and, soulful about yes. it. And I do feel like people open up and you end up talking into the night. Yes, you? you're right. I think that's a sort of, you know, round the table, you're still there at 1am. Yeah. Rather than, you know, dancing the night away, you wouldn't necessarily drink a red with that. But um, I do love a good red. And also, I think when we have red wine at home, we actually drink less of it because it mm. is a little bit, it tends to be a little bit richer maybe because it's closer to sort of a room temperature rather than, something about cold drinks that are very easy to swig down, aren't mm. they? Which is why I always like to take my whites out of the fridge about 20 minutes before I drink them because you'll get more flavour. I always say to people, you wouldn't, you know, if you take a cherry tomato or a strawberry or a piece of chocolate out of the fridge, you're not going to taste it very well because the temperature is too cold. Let it adjust and you'll get more out of the flavour, which is why I encourage people to do that with their whites and their rosés. And yet again, with reds, you know, whack them in the fridge for 20 minutes because actually sometimes they're, I'm drinking room temperature, what's that? When you've got the heating on at Christmas, it's far too hot. Too warm. Far too warm. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit like you're drinking mulled wine without intending to drink mulled wine, you know? That's a great um, thing that you said about tomato because like a a greenhouse fresh tomato when it's warm, God, the, the aromas. The aromas. You can smell the the, the vine. You can smell the green. You can taste the acidity and the sweetness. It's lovely. Yeah, 
No, definitely. Uh, let's see if any of these breads live up to <laughs> the dream of the greenhouse tomato. <laughs> <laughs> My mum gave me some greenhouse tomatoes. I should have brought them with me to do with the cheese. Should have, yeah, yeah. It's um, so, Sophia, what have you bought for Andy? Oh, What's that okay. there? So, when I was in the wine shop choosing, uh, I saw an Etna Rosso on the shelf. And oh, it just jumped out at me because... It's, uh, the wines from Etna have sort of, I've sort of discovered them over the past two or three years. Um, never, I've never been disappointed by one. I love the, the altitude, that sort of altitude freshness, but the, you know, that, that sunshine that comes onto the grapes as well, because you're in Sicily, it's hot, but that, yeah, but the altitude obviously keeps the freshness in. And they're gorgeous, they're mineral, they're volcanic, they're smoky, they're, the fruit is so pure, um, so this one, I mean, I haven't tried this, it's called, it's from Vivera, uh, it's called Martinella, it's slightly aged, so 2015 we're looking at here, um, mm. it's uh, Norello Mascalese is the main grape, but you also have some Norello Cappuccio in the blend as well, so um, I'm really looking forward to trying this. This is exciting. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Etna uh, Rosso, definitely. Ones I've tried in the past have never disappointed, apart from one that I had that was corked. Um, I remember taking it, I took two bottles of it because I loved it so much, to a friend's for lunch. And then my husband, Alan, hadn't realised that I'd bought the wine with me, the one that we'd just opened. Yeah. So I opened it and I was so embarrassed that it was corked. I just stood up and went, oh my God, this wine is corked. This is terrible. <laughs> and he was like, how rude are you? <laughs> because he presumed it was the host's wine. I was like, no, 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 I'm feeling totally responsible because I've just got these out of the car. <laughs> and I, I, it made me laugh thinking about how he thought, Andy, calm it down. And yet I was just like, because I knew it was my wine, I was like, do not drink that. Oh, no. <laughs> so we laughed about it in the end when we, yeah. when we opened the second you one and it wasn't cool. <laughs> so we are. I'm a little bit worried now because I am a huge fan of volcanic wines. I think mm. they have something extra special about mm. them. And of all the volcanic reds, I mean, there's two places I love. It's Tihany and Lake Balaton in Hungary, and it's Mamet, which have just yeah. this real vividness to them. Mm. So, I we'll had a see. choice between, so there is um, a slightly cheaper sort of entry-level version, um, and then this one is from a specific plot. So, you know, it's more premium. Um, the, the person in the shop said when she opened it, she said it was like, the smoke was coming out mm. of Mount Etna into her nostrils. Mm. And I was like, oh, you're sold. I, I need <laughs> see, to experience that. So that's interesting because you do, you know when it's not like you're not stood directly over a, a fire, but you know when you're just in an area where somebody may have, there's a, somebody's dampened the fire down and there was a fire there once and you definitely get that sort of Everything. minerality, the sort of like hot flint sort of in the nose. And when you taste it, you almost get this like, almost like a violet and licorice in there and stuff. And I think that's really nice. It's a bit chalky as well. Mm. It's like um, grippy on the cheeks and it's fresh. Because when you smell it, you mm. think it's going to be like robust and heavy on the palate. But mm. it has a real beautiful lightness on the palate, doesn't it? It does. Consider yes, actually, yes, it does. Because it's actually quite bright. It's brighter than I thought it would be. I thought it would yeah. be a bit more sort of, you know deep and, dare I say, slightly chocolatey, but there's a nice brightness to that. 
given the freshness and acidity, you've all got sheep's milk cheese on your plate, which is the Fosway fleece, which is a nice triangle wedge by the crackers. Yep, there Lovely. Um, yeah, that's it. So this is has mainly saltiness, but also it's waxy and a little bit creamy. Mm. Um, and will hopefully just bring all the red fruits up. Mm. Um, that's a lovely cheese. Sheep's cheese for me is, is the one I go for when you don't know what the wine's going to be like. For me, sheep's cheese just adds a little bit of salt, a little bit of texture. It's not too soft, it's not too hard, it's got mm. creaminess to it, and it just balances out mm. almost every wine from fizz right through to port. It just does mm. a real nice balancing act on mm. the wines. Perfect all rounder. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. Well, that's nice because actually having tasted the cheese and then go back to the wine. It sort of brings the red fruit out in the wine, actually, yeah. interestingly. Well, it's lovely. I think it's it such Brilliant. a purity of fruit, isn't it? It doesn't feel masked by mm. anything, like does not masked by oak or mm. anything like that. Yeah, it's lovely. You are taking an early punch to the wine I'm about to show you. <laughs> oh, 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 was I? <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. Are there, should we be reading between the lines of what you guys are saying to each other? <laughs> Um, so, my red, just in comparison, is Chateau Porto Caras, and it's a Cabernet Sauvignon Cabernet Franc, but also Limnio, which is a very ancient Greek grape variety. It's coming from Amindian, so up in Macedonia, in northern Greece. Um, and Amindian and Macedonia, generally, I love for red wines, because you're in the foothills of the mountains. You've got a lot of sunshine, but it's not too warm, so you don't get jamminess, but you get freshness. Uh, but then there is oak on here, so we'll see what you think. Uh, but as a comparison, this is 2012, so I mean, we're, we're very old, mature Gosh. style. Oh, I'm wearing a 2012 t-shirt yeah. today. Oh, London. Design. My London 2012, I think was the best year oh, when the Olympics were in town. I was living in London at the time. And it's Jubilee, wasn't it? It was the Jubilee. Just, well, there was lots of things. There was, well, there was the Olympics, there was Jubilee, I think, was it... Um, Wills and Kate got married near about then. Or there was a few yeah. things that made us feel really. It was like Brit was coming back. Like everyone had Union Jacks everywhere. 2012. I, I still think 2012 was like not that long ago. And yet when you think, oh, was it 10, ten, ten years, years ten ago? Years. Oh my God. You can look at, the, look at the difference in color of these two reds mm. and how sort of light in color the Etna is. And this Greek wine is a lot darker. For me, when you start tasting Cabernet Franc away from Loire Valley and you go southern and you go more mm. Mediterranean, Cabernet Franc is all tobacco and chocolate and Definitely. richness. Yeah. And then the Cab Sauvignon, which is not a favourite grape of mine, but if it's blended well, I think it's quite interesting. Mm. Um, the Limnio grape I don't know a lot about, so this is quite interesting. You still have a tiny bit of like... So with Cabernet Franc, you get a bit of greenness, don't you? Sometimes mm. like that herbaceousness, and I like that because mm. it lifts it all of it. Yeah, it does, because essentially you taste that and you think, oh, that's quite a heavy wine, but then you do get this almost green, stalky sort of something that is a little bit more herbaceous, which is really helping those deep, dark, licorice chocolatey yeah. notes that mm. you get in there. And it's very smooth, very smooth on the palate. I think we worked together. We worked together, didn't we? On we did. Uh, we did uh, Ronnie's. Uh, yeah, we Greek. did a pairing session. Yeah. Yes, and <laughs> we, we did some Greek stuff. I can't remember. Whether it was we a did. Whole yeah. Greek session, or whether it was. We, we had a couple of bottles which were from Somali, who was in Peloponnese, so uh, mainland, well, southern part of mainland Greece. Mm. Uh, 
Uh, Giorgio Tico was yes. the red. Yeah, very Sangiovese-esque. Yes, mm. that's right. Because yeah, because we were doing online wine and food matching sessions, yeah. weren't we? Ronnie's of Thornbridge, which is a lovely fine dining restaurant in my hometown, um, and. Uh, Ben came on board and we uh, they would get boxes, they'd buy their boxes and the food would go out and they'd have little bottles of the wine. And I can remember pointing my way around the Greek map through yeah. with these different wines. And that's funny because often when I think Greek wine, I think of you. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> you know. I'll, ha I'll happily God. take that. Yeah. Now, that's going on my bio, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Greek yeah, the Greek god of wine. We need some sort of like, you know. He's Bacchus himself. <laughs> Ben Bacchus. Okay, there's, there's too many quotes here. They're all, they're all going on the profile. <laughs> obviously, obviously, I can see some sort of you know, sort of Greek statue of you holding a wine, you know, with a fig leaf placed, oh, yeah. or oh, no, a vine leaf. Yeah. Or a triangle of cheese. <laughs> Definitely a triangle of cheese. A big wedge of cheese, <laughs> and so forth. But let's, should we talk about turbulence? Yes. Yeah. So. Something that you overcame in your, it doesn't have to be in your career, in life. Did wow. wine help? <laughs> wine always <laughs> helped. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I am well aware that in my um, career, I do encourage people to drink nice things. But I, I, uh, I don't like to say I'm encouraging people to drink. You know, you don't want to make people drink more than they want to. But there's something that um, I'm, I talk about in the book and that I'm very aware of whenever I do any demos or host anything on TV or for events is that you, sh you should sip happy. If you're going to pour yourself a sip of something, sip for a positive reason. Mm. And uh, I'm always well aware that yes, wine and drinks can make a good time even better, but if you are going to fix a drink for yourself or for somebody else, then it should be positive. And actually I think, you know, <clears throat> if you talk about things that you overcome, I think I, you know, I'm not, educated in wine or drinks. I just happened to fall into it through my other career in TV production. So I'm well aware that I'm not somebody who has certificates or uh, letters after my name. I'm not a master of wine or anything like that. So I do think I'm well aware that professionally, even though this is part of my career, part of me always thinks well, I'm still a bit of a novice. But um, as to sort of things you might have overcome, I think sometimes um, less so now for the uh, sort of the younger generation, but obviously you're well aware that you know when you put yourself out there, you know I'm gay. You know sometimes your sexuality does come into play whether you want it to or not. Um, and you know I'm very lucky to have worked in TV and you know in hospitality, which is obviously uh, the different areas that um, have a lot of sort of gay people and sort of uh, um, trans and. Uh, uh, people that aren't just sort of straight in inverted commas, so I'm quite lucky there. But you know, you are aware when you put yourself out there, you know, people will they always judge you on things you don't want to be judged on. Mm. So I think actually, I'm always aware that you know, I like to fly the flag and say that you know, you can be confident, you can be yourself, you can do something you want to, even if you're not formally educated into it, and you know, you know, overcome any issues you might have about sort of your background or your or your sexuality, really. Yeah. But I love what you just said about like you still feel like a novice and I think that's such um, a positive attribute because you're taking your followers and uh, your audience on a journey with you. Yeah. Like lots of people don't want to be educated by an expert, mm. you know, in quotation marks. Like they, uh, yeah, they want to sort of discover things mm. and be curious and I think the best teachers are still curious. Yes, I think so. I think 
When I was studying drama and theatre studies at A-level, and then I did it for my degree, uh, there was a theorist who said, only the dead are beyond change. You know, nothing is done and dusted. If we are living, if we are breathing, if something is growing, every moment there's the ability for it to differ or to change, whether it's to change its physical form, change its opinion, whatever, change its direction. And yeah, the idea that, you know, we're all living and breathing and, um, you know, wines change in the bottle. They change in the tank before they've got to the bottle. Wines change in the glass. Um, Everything moves on. And actually, I definitely, with whatever aspect of my career, I do suffer from imposter syndrome. You know, I may have worked in television for decades. I may be educated to degree level, but I have those days where I will wake up and go, no, somebody else could do this better than me. Definitely. And you think, why am I doing this? And you have those moments of doubt. But I think that keeps you on your toes and it keeps you human. I think nobody wants to be patronised or talked down to by somebody who thinks they know it all and think they know it better than you. And that is what I try to strive to make sure happens uh, with everything I do personally and professionally, if that makes sense. I think the wonderful thing about wine is the more you get into it, the more you learn about it, the bigger you realise the world is. And then almost everyone with a passion for wine who is is genuinely passionate about it rather than the other stuff, I think, realises they're a bit of an imposter in this whole world in front of them. I mean, it's a big thing to try and master if you ever wanted to. Exactly. It's a life quest. Yeah, and also the two things that you sort of pinpointed as like times of turbulence they're also I think your biggest strengths like the fact that you're gay and you feel like you've sort of um, gone through hard times with people reacting to that that's also a massive strength because you've represented a whole community that need to see you as a bit of a shining beacon in in a way so and also yeah we all covered that I think it's a strength that you're not positioned as like you know the best expo in wine or whatever. Yeah. Like, I think that's a strength. So yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that you can, it's all how you look at things. Yes. I think the one thing I can do in any aspect of my life is try and um, include people and try to make people enthusiastic about a subject. Whether that subject is wine, whether it's, I don't know, encouraging a child to do a puzzle that they weren't that keen on doing. But we can focus on the positives about how great the outcome is going to be when you make that puzzle complete and you'll be feeling like a champion and I think uh, one thing I can do is I think every day when I get out of bed I think if I can when I go to bed tonight if I can have made one person's life slightly happier because maybe they've seen something I've put on social media they've um, watched something I've recommended you know they've watched something and I've recommended something on television and they've gone and bought it and said I bought this because of you and I bloody love it then that's great or whether it's just making somebody smile by helping them on the train with their case that they couldn't lift. I don't know. I think always strive to make somebody's life happier um, than it would have been had they not met you. That's a brilliant philosophy to live by. And I think in in the spirit of that, (laughs) pick a (laughs) favourite. I love your segue. That was a very professional Who are you gonna segue. I've worked with Richard Maidley. Who are you, you going to disappoint yeah. possibly? I've worked, I've worked with Richard Maidley and he was always very good at segueing one item into the next, even when you thought it was impossible to do so. I'm a bit like, I'm so totally torn because there is not a sip that I have tasted today that I haven't absolutely enjoyed. Yeah. Okay. This, this is really, really hard because I think from... From you, Sophia, from your wines, there's one that I think is absolutely standout. And the same with you. 
Ben. Mm, so now this okay. is where I'm totally torn. This is my, like I said, my Gemini two, two faces. <laughs> so you have to tell us that your two, the two wines then that you love. Okay, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the two ones. you've got to pick it up. I, I think <laughs> Okay, so my two standouts uh, for a start would be the rosé. Really love that because that does everything that I tell people to, to do when they're trying rosé. Don't just go down, I don't know, see, haven't been in Provence for a week, but, you know, go for something that is a, a bit different, a bit out there. Um, and secondly, I think your red, Ben, the... The Greek red. I think if I were to go home and sort of say, oh, I've got a dinner party coming up, there's one wine that I would like to share and to uh, uh, give people as something a bit different, I think it would have to be the rosé. Yes! Oh, no. <laughs> Two nil to Sophie. I was terrible. I was hoping to readjust the balance. Uh, well done. Whoops. I mean, the rosé is fantastic. Fair play. That's a good pick. Well, there's four, four great sips, so... <laughs> I mean, it was a hard choice. I mean, I, I loved your white. I think, like, classic Burgundy is fantastic. That is so good. I mean, you know, for the price, the, the Marcenet Blanc is just delicious. Just absolutely lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next time. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> what? Oh, dear. Oh, well, hopefully, hopefully we'll have you back, Andy, to pick the right one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll come back until you get it right. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, Ben's threatening a trip to Positano. I am, yeah. Wow. I've been offering a Positano-based podcast. <laughs> I think that's it's all sounding very positive. Yeah. <laughs> right? So is it straight wins for Ben? I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Good <laughs> deal. I think I've marked my card. <laughs> yeah, you're not invited. Yeah, yeah. He's just going to send me pictures on social media, isn't he? Or WhatsApp me pictures. Look what you could have won <laughs> if you'd have chosen my wine. <laughs> Uh, no, but absolute pleasure, Andy, to speak to you. And uh, everyone should look out for Home Bar by Andy Clark at home. It's yes. a lovely look. So, well, thank you for inviting me. It's an absolute treat to, to see you guys and to, to share some lovely wine and some lovely cheese with you. No, pleasure. Yes, awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Can't believe you won again. <laughs> yes, 2-0 <laughs> to me. For a rosé as well. Oh, it's just gutting. Not, look, you should not ever underestimate rosé. Um, this was a great example of something with loads of character that didn't come from Provence. And I think Andy really enjoyed that. You know, he's always after uh, interesting wines, something that off the beaten track. I have to admit, that's got to be why, no matter how good the Burgundy was, it didn't make the top two. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that something new and interesting. It was just brilliant, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite as brilliant as a new discovery. Look, right? I did love your Burgundy, <laughs> but, you know, the Portuguese rosé won it. Well, on that note, I will <laughs> just have to make sure I win the next one. Because if I lose in straight sets on this series, it's going to be a bad start. <laughs> it kind of gets embarrassing then. I know. I'll up my game for episode three. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> all right. Come on. The fists are out. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you next time on the Wine Flight Podcast. This was a podcast produced by Ben Pranks Wine and edited by Catherine Ag. To find out more, visit benfranks.wine. <laughs>